let's keep singing that by grace sound free by I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. No place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. Here in your love. church, just sing that out. No place. No place I'd rather No place.
Come on, let's lift up our hands all across this room. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I want you to lift up your voices. Let's build up our inner man. Let's exercise our most holy faith. Come on. you guys to be baptized in the Holy Spirit if you have not been so 
If you need a fresh outpouring, come on, we're going to go after Jesus today. God, baptize your people fresh and anew. It is a free gift. You do nothing to earn it. Lord, I pray for a baptism of fire today in Jesus' name. Baptize us in your fire, O oh God. Baptize us in your fire, Jesus, so that we may be a witness, to witness, O oh God, to testify to your greatness, to preach the gospel with signs, wonders following, O oh God. Baptize us in your fire. Come on, a few more moments. Come on, lift up your voices. Let a hunger arise. Let a hunger arise today. Come on. The Bible says to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. Come on. Build up your most holy faith by speaking in other tongues. Come on. Rivers of living water to rise up from within your belly today. Fresh rivers of living water.
Jesus. We thank you for the baptism of fire. We thank you for the indwelling of the power of the Holy Ghost inside of us. We give you glory and honor and praise. We thank you, Holy Ghost, for showing up and showing off in our life. We will follow you. Lead the way, King Jesus. We thank you, O oh God, for your refreshing rain. We thank you for your fire, O oh God, that sets us ablaze for the gospel. To see your kingdom come to this earth, O oh Lord. We thank you for an infilling, a fresh outpouring of your spirit, O oh God. We worship you. We bless you. King of kings and Lord of lords. And everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo, he is good. We serve an awesome God. You may be seated this afternoon. The ushers are going to begin passing out the elements for communion at this time. Who felt Jesus? Come on. What an awesome time. There's no better place than to be in the presence of the Lord. I'd rather be here than anywhere else. Before we partake of communion together as a church, this afternoon I want to preach the gospel to you today. The reason why we preach the gospel every week, giving you the good news that Jesus says, is so that you could have an opportunity to get right with God. And you know if you're not right with God, if you once lived for him or you walked away or you've never heard about this before, the Bible says today is a day for you to get saved. In John chapter 4, verse 10, this passage of scripture that I'm going to be reading this verse is talking about a divine appointment that Jesus had with a woman at the well. And I want to let you know today that if you don't know Jesus, today is your divine appointment with him. That he came to seek and save you. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so today is your divine appointment. And you're going to see his response, Jesus' response to this woman who, you know, had her questions and had her, you know, excuses in one way or another. This was his response to her. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I want to let you know today that if you are not right with God, you are rejecting this living water. If you knew who it was that was asking you to give it all up for him, if you knew who it was that was asking you to surrender your life to him, you would say, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to get this living water? And that's the desperation we need to have inside of us. Jesus, the Son of God. He was 100% man, 100% God, came to earth to die on the cross for sinners. He came to seek and to save us because we were lost in our sin. And when we reject him and we reject his way, it's like we're drowning in the ocean and you reject your rescue. You're rejecting your lifesaver. So I want you to know today who it is that is asking you, give up this thing that is keeping you back and he will, in exchange, give you living waters. For me, it was November 3rd, 2000. I had to give up a relationship. There was something that I had to surrender to get right with God. I was 18 years old. And I said, God, I'm going to give you this. And his response is, if only you knew. You know, if I was denying, if I was struggling, if only you knew who it was who was asking you to give this up, I'll give you an eternity of a relationship with me that will never compare to anything on this earth. 
So with all eyes closed all across this room, you know who you are. I encourage you, get right with God today. As I begin to pray for you, I want you to come into agreement. Surrender your life to God. Get rid of the junk in the trunk. Get rid of the excuses. Stop trying to figure things out. And come to the Savior who has living water for you and you'll never thirst again. Everything in this, world, in this earth will leave you high and dry. It will leave you thirsty. But when you come to Jesus, he lets you drink deep of living water. God, I pray for every single person in this room who's not right with you, who must get right, that today they will make a decision to be born again, that they will surrender all, that they would turn from their ways, ask you to forgive them, to repent of their sin, oh God, and turn and live for you so that they can be saved. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet with me. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for the good news of the gospel. If you came in agreement with that prayer, I want to encourage you during our fellowship time, we're going to have some prayer workers up here at the front. I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer and ask them how to get connected into the church to be a disciple. We're here for you. You're not going to be on this journey alone. So as a church, we're coming behind you. We're saying you can do this. Amen. Who's ready for communion? Come on. The Bible says for us to take communion and to do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do this on the first Sunday of every month as a practice to that ordinance that we remember what God has done for us. If you could take your wafer, we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your body that was beaten and bruised for us, that was whipped for us, the crown of thorns that was placed on your head. We thank you, Jesus, for dying a gruesome death so that you could bridge the chasm that was separating us from our creator. You made it happen, oh God, and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to take our place, and we remember your body today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the wafer together. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Lord, we lift up the grape juice to you that signifies, that symbolizes your blood. We thank you for your blood that was shed on Calvary, your blood that washes us white like snow, that takes away our sin as far as the east is from the west, your blood that, that redeems us, that heals us, Lord, on that cross, you took our sicknesses, our sins, and our sorrows. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood today that makes us new. We love you, Lord. Let's partake of the grape juice. Hallelujah. The band is going to lead us in this song. The ushers are going to come out to dispose of these elements. Let's worship the Lord one more time together in song as we lift up our hands. We think about his great love. Think about the day he saved you. Think about what he's taken you from. Think about who he is. The love that he lavishes on us. Come on. The love that can't be taken away. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was
you today and every day. Be glorified in all that we do, oh God. Let your presence continue to resonate in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit. I pray for the word that's going to come forth. I pray that we would be changed from glory to glory to glory. We love you. We honor you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time. We serve an awesome God. Praise the Lord. We're going to confess our confession of faith together. The reason why we do this every week is because this is our Christian worldview. So in one accord, let's do this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Praise him. Praise the Lord. Spend some time fellowshipping. Get to meet somebody. Give him a handshake and a hug.
Right, all right. Who's excited to be at church today? Make some noise. Clap it up. Look to your neighbor. Say, it's good to see you. Look to your other neighbor. Say, come back next week. Welcome, everybody, to Metro Praise International. We're so thankful that you joined us for our second service today. Here at MPI, we have two services every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So in the back, we have King's Kids for Children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. for students 11 to 18 years old. So if you know anybody in that age group, invite them to be here on Friday nights. This is a place for them to be if they're, if they're uh, in the youth group age. So uh, we're just so thankful about what God is doing in the Elevate ministry with all the leaders and the students and the lives that are being changed and transformed. God is moving in our midst, so we're so thankful for that. Who's excited about everything that's coming up? Come on, Puerto Rican Festival Outreach. June 18th at 9 a.m. It's right around the corner. We want you guys to keep being excited. Let people know about it. Take your time off of work. Join us that Saturday morning. Ready to rock and roll for Jesus. We're going to kind of fill up, and then we're going to hit the streets and preach the gospel there all afternoon till probably about 5 o'clock or so. And we are just so excited about what God is going to do on the streets there at, at Humble Park. So we've been in prayer. Keep on praying. Join us in prayer to be able to have divine appointments that the Spirit of God would hover over Humble Park from now till then and forevermore, obviously. But we want the power of God to just be proclaimed, to be shown through our preaching. So join us. Here's a video to encourage you to keep on pressing on and sharing your faith about God. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Get ready, get ready, get ready. So mark it in your calendar. That next day, Sunday, June 19th, which is Father's Day, we're going to be having baptisms and Father's Day steak dinner. So the fun just continues. It's going to be awesome. Baptisms services are one of our favorites here as leaders because it's just amazing to see the power of God at work and new believers' lives who are committing themselves to the Lord. So if you are new to the church and you've been being discipled or you just came and you want to be discipled, if you want to be baptized, you can see Pastor Griselda here after the service. Raise your hand. She'll sign you up, and we'll just be ready to 
to baptize you that day. So invite your friends, invite your family, invite your dads that are in your life. It's going to be an awesome time. Both services, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., we're going to have baptisms and the stakes for them. Then uh, all next month for the month of July, we have Vacation Bible School for the kiddos. Every Wednesday in July from 6.30 to 8 p.m., we're going to have Vacation Bible School. There's going to be Bibles, lessons, crafts, worship, games. Um, I need my glasses. Prizes, snacks, and summer fun. So bring your children. If you are not already consistently coming on Wednesday nights, we want to encourage you to start doing so. You don't have to wait till next month. They're currently doing their Royal Rangers Boys Clubs and Impact Girls Clubs throughout the school year. So July all month is going to be our vacation Bible school. So we're really pumped about what God is going to do in the lives of our children. And then also next month, our MPI Summer Retreats. We are so excited. One of our favorite times of the year. It's going to be Friday and Saturday, July 15 and 16. If you've never gone, it is absolutely amazing. Take off work, get a little getaway. Here are the prices. So if you're an individual person who wants to share a room with some other people, it's going to be $50. Bam, that's it for the lodging. Food this year is going to be everybody on their own. You take care of your own family, bring a picnic basket, get some fast food on the way, get some fast food when we're done and we're on the way to the hotel that night. So this, these prices are only for the hotel and a little other things that we're doing, like with parking permits and stuff. So if you're an individual, you want to share a room, 50 bucks. If you want your own room for your family or if you're a married couple, $150. Registration deadline is July 3rd. So we really want to pump you guys up, get you focused, get your rooms saved and all that stuff and paid because registration will be done July 3rd. We will not let anybody else in. Say, it shall be closed. So registration can start today. And if you can go to the MPI website, you will find the Eventzilla link there on our website under the MPI retreat section. Also on our Facebook event page, there's the Eventzilla link there as well for you to go in and register yourself. You could pay using debit or your credit card, or you could do it here on a Sunday with Griselda and I, or Pastor Jerry usually for second service, and we'll get you registered through the Eventzilla page as well. So either way you want to do it, that's great. If you want to do it on your own, but no matter what, get your room saved and come ready to have some fun. You guys excited about that? Some fun in the sun? All right, let's get into our vision. MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision here is loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups that we have going throughout the month. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to, to be soul winners, to evangelize. And our goal through that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. How many of you guys believe God can do that through you? Come on, through you he could do that. Look to your neighbor say, get connected. If you turn your hand out around, you'll see the schedule of our life groups for this quarter, different types of life groups, times, places, locations. Here's a snapshot of what's happening this week. Kicking it off today, we have our singles, 18 to 35 years old, 4 p.m., meeting here at the church Awesome men and women of God on fire want to fellowship with you, share life together, and have fun. It's going to be awesome. Single moms are meeting today as well. Child care is always provided when they get together, 530 at that address. So if you're a single mom, I really want to encourage you, go there. You will be refreshed and encouraged in your walk with God. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. They meet here at the church. Wednesday, King's Kids every week, infant to fifth grade, 630 here at the church for our Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. Parents, bring your children. You want them to be here on Wednesdays. 
Thursday every week we have our gang outreach that goes out 18 years and up. If you want to attend that, meet at 7 p.m. And every Friday we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Make plans to be there. You will be refreshed, encouraged. Get the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in the Lord throughout the week and just get recharged after a long week of work, right? How many of you guys love life groups? Come on. Then we want to mentor you. We mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Our 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life, and that is done one-on-one with leaders in the church that you get to pick, and then you guys decide what schedule you're going to be on as you go through that. When you graduate from the 101 class, from the 101, you'll get into the 201 class where we train you to be a a leader in the church so that one day you could be an elder or a deacon here. And then we want to send you out. Look to your neighbor and say, send. We want to send you out to do evangelism, preach the gospel on the streets. We do that every Saturday from 5 to 8. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you to do it. You will be refreshed. It is powerful. It is life-changing. You will get closer to Jesus. Just like Rudy said in the video for the PR Fest, you you will know Jesus in new ways, and you will hear him speak to you and use you to bless and minister other people and really give you a heart for the lost. So to recap, MPI has a vision, strategy, and a goal, a vision of loving God and loving people, strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're so excited that you guys are here. Who's pumped about giving their tithes and offerings today? Come on. MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. We believe the Bible teaches that. And an offering is an amount after the tithe. It is above the tithe, and that um, specific amount is between you and the Lord, whatever he puts on your heart to give. And we designate that towards missions and towards building. There's various missions projects that we give to throughout the year and uh, the building funds that we are able to be in at different seasons to bless the church and to reach Chicago here to make this look right. Amen? So let's get into our lesson for today in the Disciples Giving Book. Section 2, Lesson 9. You could go to givingbook.org if you want to follow along there. Today is Lesson 9, Offerings Supply the Ministry. Give them a couple more seconds to get there. Offerings Supply the Ministry. The offering is a gift to God after our tithes. We're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians 9, 12. Say, I'm there if you're there. The first service did the same thing. It's right in front of you. Say, I'm there. For 2 Corinthians 9, 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Let's read the three main points. Number one, service you perform. Giving offerings is a charitable service that God expects us to perform with a cheerful heart because we have been blessed by the best. Who's been blessed by the best here? Come on. That is why each believer should prayerfully seek God for his or her best contribution. What is your best might not be somebody else's best. That's why it's all dependent on our walk with God and what he tells us to do. And ultimately, it's our obedience to him, giving with a cheerful heart. Number two, supplying the needs. When offerings are given to trusted leadership in the church, they will disperse the funds to meet the needs of God's people. Let me get a hallelujah for that. For example, when you give to missions, the church guarantees that it will reach the intended people and supply the work of the gospel. And I want to let you know, MPI, that you have trusted leadership here that handles the money with integrity. And whatever you want it to go for, every penny goes towards that. Amen. And number three, overflowing expressions of thanks. 
Every time we give offerings to supply the needs in ministry, it results in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. And I shared this with the first service, that eternity will tell the stories. When we're in glory in heaven for all of eternity, we'll be able to hear the stories of the people that were blessed because of our obedience to the Lord to give so that we could be blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Isn't that powerful when you think of it like that? Because there are so many people that our tithes and offerings are touching all across the nations when we give to the missions budget when we're reaching people here in Chicago people that we probably will never meet but heaven will tell the story so let's continue to give and be faithful because all that thankfulness they have is going towards God here's a summary be confident that when you give offerings in church you're supplying the needs of God's work upon the earth and that is an honor that we get to co-labor with the Lord and do that here are three ways we could apply this to our life number one be a faithful tither Number two, pray and ask God to help you perform the service of supplying the church's ministerial needs. And number three, be thankful that you get the chance to help hurting people and give them the gospel, which is the ultimate goal. If that makes you excited, let's confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Let's stand up to our feet today as we prepare to give the Lord our best. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income given faithfully. Offering is anything above that. If you look at the envelope, you'll see the different sections. Just want to encourage you to keep putting the exact amount that you want to go towards tithe, missions, and building. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. And number four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very quick, easy, convenient for you. I want you guys to give it up for yourselves because in the month of May, we raised $2,457, which is almost, almost double what we were expecting to bring in in a month. So we've knocked out May. Here are the dates for June through October for our soul-winning summer. This is our building fund for the rest of the year, having the guest worship leader, Brandon Hall, come in, our music ministry being raised up, going to another level, doing all of those outreaches, giving away free stuff. All of that is supplying the need at this season for Metro Praise International. So we want to encourage you to pray, to partner, to give. If you haven't done so already, that pledge is between you and the Lord. Just give with a cheerful heart and give faithfully because we're going to change Chicago and the world one soul at a time. So isn't it awesome that we all get to be a part of that? So this is our soul winning summer. We did awesome. Let's keep giving faithfully and knock this out and see what God is going to do in our midst in Chicago this season. Come on. Let's recite this together. Philippians 4.18, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your bountiful blessings in our life, your provision, your faithfulness, your favor, your goodness in our life. Lord, we give you our tithe and our offering today as an act of worship. I pray that you would take it, that you would multiply it, that you would meet the needs of your people on this earth and the gospel would be preached. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. We give you glory and honor and praise for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give today. And thank you so much for your generosity.
All right, how many are ready for a new sermon series? Make some noise. Woo! All right, we got a new summer sermon series. I'm your friendly neighborhood pastor, Joe, here. You talk, uh, you heard my wife talking at the beginning. Glad to have all of our visitors here. So we finished out a sermon series going after Easter into spring called Spiritual Growth. Part of what we hit on was spiritual disciplines. Now for all of summer, this is our summer, sur- summer, summer, summer sermon series. There we go. And it's spiritual disciplines. Now, when you think of spiritual disciplines, I don't want you to think of spiritual spankings. Okay, so look at your neighbor. Tell them it's okay. Nobody's getting spiritually spanked. There are some cults that have actually done that. Anybody remember Jim Jones, that cult Jim Jones? He used to paddle his members. Now, would you go to a church that did that? You should not. You should not. So spiritual discipline is not spiritual spankings. If you remember in our former sermon series, spiritual discipline is the action of keeping God's commands. It's the idea of you disciplining your body, taking control of your life, and putting God's commands first. And so we're going to get into it and learn all about these wonderful things that God has taught us. And today is about Bible reading. Everybody say Bible reading. Thank you. So it just basically means to read your Bible. Now here is the new sermon series text for the whole entire summer. We'll be going through 1 Corinthians, so please turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 is going to give us the understanding of spiritual discipline. Now, as you're turning here, this is a passage of Scripture written by Paul. It's to the city of Corinth. Corinth is a Roman city, so we're talking 2,000 years ago. And in this city, it was very multicultural and diverse. Don't you guys like a diverse church? Amen. Isn't this awesome? So very multicultural, and it was also from multi-religious backgrounds. And the two major ones, and this is a common theme throughout the New Testament, is Jew and Gentile. A Jew was someone that was raised up in the teachings of Moses in the Old Testament. They had their uh, lineage, their physical DNA back to Abraham. And then you had what was known as a Gentile, which was someone not born into the Israelite community, not a Jew by birth. And generally, Gentiles at this time were idol worshipers. So they were worshiping what we now see movies made about, Thor, Zeus, etc. And a lot of them did some crazy stuff. At, at, at certain times, they could actually go to their temple, give an offering, and have sex with prostitutes as a part of their worship. And then there was also times where they sacrificed children or they did blood sacrifice of humans. And this was paganism at its highest. And there was also another side, which the Greeks had, which was a lot of philosophy. And there probably was some in that congregation as well. So what you're looking at is a diverse congregation in a metropolitan city in the Roman Empire. And here is Paul. Now, who's Paul? He's that apostle that God has called, literally knocked off his donkey, knocked, knocked, I'm not going to go King James, but knocked off his, you know, if you know King James for donkey. Anyways, he was knocked off his, you know what, and he came to Christ through that divine encounter, and he started planting churches, and he started to go around and travel through the Roman Empire, and he started giving them the instructions that God had given them. Now, this church right here in particular was a naughty little church. Everybody say a naughty little church. 
they had some major problems. He starts off correcting them because they're fighting with each other about which pastor they love the best. Oh, I like Pastor Nancy. Oh, I like Pastor Berto. I like Pastor Joe. And then the spiritual people would be like, oh, but I'm just with Pastor Jesus. I like Jesus. And he said, stop it. Stop arguing what church is the best, New Life, Chicago Tab, whatever. Th- these are all just servants of God. So he has to start off rebuking their competition and their competitive spirit. And then he moves on to rebuke them for sexual immorality. And he says, you guys have it so bad, you make the world look normal because you're more crazier than the world. And he points out one of the problems that they had was a man was having sex with his stepmom. Everybody go, oh, gross. That's gross. Come on. I mean, what were they thinking? But they were perverse, and yet they were still coming to church. And then it even gets a little crazier than that because we just took communion today. But but back in the ancient church, they would take it during their uh, home groups. Most of their churches met in homes, and they would do it with real literal wine while they're having a meal. And you know what they started to do at their communion services during the holiest time of their day, what they're supposed to do to honor God? They started getting drunk, and they were fighting in drunken brawls, yelling and cursing at each other. Some of y'all look at me, you don't believe this. Read Corinthians, I'm telling you. He says, you guys get drunk when you take communion. What are you thinking? Now watch this, guys. Some of you may say to yourself, well, pastor, I'm not arguing about what pastor is the best today. Yeah, but I want to ask you, do you think there's people in this church that are bitter, unforgiving, having offenses? There's probably something similar in this church, and we need to deal with it, don't we? Now, you may say, Pastor, I'm not having sexual fantasies about my stepmom, but let me ask you, do you think there's some here that maybe might be uh, sexually perverse or lusting in their heart, needing correction on sexuality? Or how about this? You may say, Pastor, I'm smart enough not to get drunk at communion in church, but did you get drunk last night? Did you get drunk at Memorial Day? Or is there anything else in your life that you're not in self-control over? So we may not be as different from the Corinthians as we might think. And so this passage is right there in in, in the middle towards the end of, of the book of Corinthians. And now he gives us what is the foundation for our sermon series. If you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Listen to him. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. How many of y'all want to win in life? How many want to win at your family and win at your job? Amen. And if you don't win, what do we call those people? Losers. And we don't want losers. Now, Jesus loves losers because I was a loser. I can tell you I was a high school dropout. But it's time we become winners in Christ. Amen. Now, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Everybody say strict training. Thank you. That is the whole foundation for this sermon series. Strict training is the equivalent of discipline. The one that wants to run cannot be going to Giordano's every day, filling up on all that stuff. They're going to have to diet at some point. They can't be just taking the escalator everywhere. They're going to have to start taking the stairs. They can't fight over the closest parking spot. They're going to have to be happy parking further away and getting in their steps every day. They're going to have to want to run and practice before they do that marathon. You don't just show up and run 28 point some miles. or what? Who, who knows the marathon distance? 26.2. You don't just show up and do that. How many know if we just did that, we would get hurt? How many know if I just said, hey, guys, let's go run 26.2 miles for church today, y'all would get hurt? I wouldn't even make it like the .2 miles. Like, seriously, I'd be like running in my chonkless. I'd be like, oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Jesus. <clears throat> I can do push-ups, pull-ups, but don't ask me to run. So if you ever see me running, y'all better run, too, because somebody's chasing me. Something's going bad. I just don't run for fun. So if you see me running, something's bad. Let's take off in that direction where my pastor's running. And I mean that for realsies. 
I've been at Boricua Fest one time, and it went down, and I started running. This white boy was running. I was like, oh, get out of here. I'm, I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? White lightning. <laughs> there he goes. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Look at this. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Don't ever think it's wrong to think about heaven as a reward. God is not bribing you, and you're not selfish to think that way. It is a part of how we are made. We want to see the end. We want to be motivated. We need inspiration in this world. And God literally tells us heaven is a reward you can look forward to and receiving a crown. My friends, if you don't have Christ, you'll receive condemnation. God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. But if you've lived for Christ, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and give you a crown the crown of everlasting life. Now watch, that crown represents your life works, the jewels and the gems. You know, I can only imagine what it's going to look like, but it's going to be there. It's going to be real. Now imagine this. You're given that crown, but what is the purpose? Is it to be a peacock? You know, look at me. I got a crown. No, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, crown him with many crowns. So literally for all eternity, your form of worship is going to be taking your crown and laying it at his feet saying, thank you, Jesus, for the life you gave me. All of these things I did for you. Worthy is the lamb. And that's where I say, I don't want a Burger King crown. I don't want to be like giving Jesus a crown and then one angel come by and then just blow away. And I'm like, sorry, Jesus, let me go get this crown back for you. No, I want like a real crown. Like the angels have to come, you know, with one of those cranes. Boop, boop, boop. Make room. The crown's coming through. And like, <laughs> Because I want him to see, you know, that I lived my life for him. Now, that's what Paul said. Go into strict training, run your race to win, and run to get a crown. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Could you imagine if Manny Pacquiao was in a fight, and, and, and he's in the ring, and he just faces away from his opponent, goes to the very far, the very far corner, and just starts punching into the air? I mean, literally, we would say, somebody get him some help. He, something's wrong with him. But that's what a lot of Christians are doing. They don't know how to live for God. They just say they believe in Jesus like they believe in Santa Claus. And they're just sitting here beating the air. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to use the word. They don't know how to work the word. Are you tracking with me? And then they're running aimlessly. They're running here, running there. No direction on the path of righteousness. And Paul says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be wasting my time beating the air, running aimlessly. Look at verse 27. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. So think about this. You got to beat your body into submission. Now, the Roman Catholics at one time, they took that literally, and they started whipping themselves. They really did. They started burning themselves. In one of my theological books, it said that here's a picture of a priest, and it was an artistic drawing of a man that every time he felt lust, he would put his hand over a fire, you know, and it shows his hand like his hand's all messed up. I'm, I'm like, poor Father Tom. Every time he saw he saw nun, nun Nancy, whatever, he started lusting. He's putting his finger over the fire, burning his hands off. But that's what he thought he was supposed to do. They were whipping themselves, you know, oh, beating themselves. Even today in the Philippines, they will crucify some of their friends to honor God. And the one that they'll take is the one that's going to be the most pious. Like, who really loves Jesus? I do. Okay, let's crucify you like him and take you through our town. Is that not true? That's what a tradition is in their culture because they think they're going to earn a good merit with God. But Paul didn't say we do it like that. No, our body is literally the flesh, and we count it as dead. 
That's how we make it our slave. Because listen, no one naturally is going to want to go into strict training. With your flesh, just look at how it reacted to your diet. When you tried to take that diet on, your stomach was like, uh-uh, I ain't going on no diet. And it was like sassy with you and, you, and you had to fight against it. And if you today are still on your New Year's resolution of losing weight, God bless you. You're doing good because that means you had to go to that Memorial Day weekend party and you're like, no more arrachetta for you, no more tortillas, no, 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 no. I'm not just trying to be racialist, but check me out here. I love my arrachetta. But, like, no more pizza for you. You had to tell your stomach, you're my slave, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And Jesus said it like this. Think about this. He's up praying. He's sweating drops of blood. He knows he's about ready to face the cross. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes down to find his disciples sleeping when they're supposed to be praying. What does he say? He says, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And if you and I do not let the spiritual life be the master of our life. Our flesh will take over. Oh, no, I don't need to get up today for church. I'm too tired. Oh, I don't need to read my Bible. I don't feel like it. I mean, think about your feelings and how much they can deceive you. If you don't know how feelings can deceive you, just look at a haircut you had about two years ago. and You felt that was right, you know. I look back at my old styles, and I'm like, whoa, what was I thinking back then? But it felt right in the moment. You guys know what I'm talking about. Come on, ladies. Let's not be too shy. You remember when Glamour Shocks was in? There was a lot of people that felt that was hot, but it wasn't hot. Yesterday, by the way, I was wearing a blue suit, and all these young men had to make fun of me. They're like, you got to take that back to Miami Vice and, you know, Sonny and Crockett. But I'm like, man, it felt so right when I put it on. I I felt like I was in style. But I literally had a blue suit from the 90s, you know. And I want to tell you, your feelings will deceive you. So don't be led by your feelings. Be led by the Father. Be led by God. And so what do you do with your body? You make it your slave. So how, do I, how have I been reading my Bible for 20 years? Because I feel like it? No, I go into strict training. And that's what we're going to learn about today. And then for everything else we learn in this sermon series, we've got to understand the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I get an amen? And so this is the review. Thank you for uh, last week and the spiritual growth series so you can tie it together. We know, show, and grow. And in between knowing and growing is the showing. And that is the spiritual disciplines. So there's a lot of people that know these things about God, that Jesus is God and Savior, that Jesus came to give us a new nature, we could be born again, that Jesus gave us commands, we should follow them. A lot of people believe that. And there's a lot of people that want to grow. They know, hey, I need to to grow in my goodness. I need to grow in knowledge. How many people see something on on this list of 12 and you go, yep, I need to grow in this, right? And how many of you over here go, yeah, I pretty much believe that. But here's the point. Are you willing to do this? Right? Are you willing to show it? That's what a spiritual discipline is. Spiritual discipline is keeping God's commands because you have faith. You're putting works to your faith. You have love. Now you're putting obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I've said. Don't you talk that way to your kids, parents here? If you love me, kids, you'll, you'll stop fighting all the time. You'll stop arguing. You'll, you'll get along. You'll clean your room. You'll show your love by your actions. So today is Bible reading. What do you think is next week's lesson is going to be on? On what family order? How many want to learn to be good husbands and wives and parents and young people to be good kids, right? Scripture memorization, the Bible talks about that. Soul journaling, writing what we learn and pray about so we can remember those things. Praying and worshiping. How many want to increase in their prayer life? Look at your neighbor. Say, get a life, a prayer life. Amen. Don't be rude. Just say it nice, though. Get a life. Look at number six, discipleship, Christ-likeness. Number seven, Christian service. How many want to learn to do all things as unto God, including dealing with uh, customers that don't treat you nice or bosses that are mean? 
right? Christian service means I'm serving God wherever I'm at. Even if that customer doesn't treat me well, even, even if uh, Comcast Cable keeps taking all my money and I'm wondering where it's going, even if AT&T keeps increasing their bill and I can't figure out how it's gotten up to $3,000 a month now, I need to be nice towards those that are serving me and those that I'm serving. Public evangelism, spiritual meditation, financial stewardship, loving God over money, Christian fellowship. You, you can have friends in the world, but you shouldn't make those your close companions. You should make Christians the ones that you sharpen each other with uh, and, and make those your close, uh, closer than family or as close as family um, friendship. And then number 12, church involvement. Does everybody get this? Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so today we're going to be talking about reading the Bible, and I hope that you guys learned something. I know in this church that I have people that have been serving God for many, many years and also visitors, so I want to tie it all together. So no matter if you're the first-time visitor or you've been serving God you know, for like 50 years, you get something out of today. So the Bible is the greatest book that has ever been written. The word Bible actually means book, and the phrase Holy Bible simply means sacred book. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors from many different walks of life. That's really impressive when you think about it. No other book is like that, written over a span of time. Each author wrote down the words they believe God inspired, so it wasn't just their own imagination, because anybody can do that. It's not like, you know, uh, Dr. Seuss. This is literally people hearing from God, writing it down. And that's why, though uh, there's 40 authors, there's no contradiction throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Remember, that's a 1,500-year time period from when Moses wrote Genesis to when John wrote Revelation, yet it's perfectly unified, without error, and essential for godly living. And I've got a wonderful video I want you guys to watch so that it will be about six minutes long so that we can get some good nuggies on this because I know there's a lot of questions about the Bible. And a lot of the shows you may see on History Channel or Discovery are not teaching you the truth, honestly. And I can tell you that some of our best schools like Moody, Trinity, Wheaton, we're always correcting what they're putting out. And I want you guys to be ready to answer those objections. Amen? Amen. So let's prepare to watch this video and enjoy it. I'll be back at the end.
Amen. Let's give it up for the Bible. Amen. What a wonderful history. No other book can say that. And just to let you know, my notes are always online on the website. You can get to them through Facebook. And you can see I have the entire playlist here, one through five, so you guys can go back and study. One of the things I want you to, uh, to see if you know the answer to is the one who translated the Bible into English, Tyndale, was burned at the stake. If you notice that, who wants to shout aloud a good guess of who burned him at the stake? The Roman Catholics. Many do not know their history very well when it comes to the Roman Catholics. Not that I'm angry at today's Roman Catholics. I have Roman Catholic friends and family. Obviously, many of us do. We love them. But the Roman Catholic Church came into power around the 5th, 5th, 6th century, and they started to isolate their power around Rome, developed a bishop in Rome that took over all the other bishops' authority. And then over time, they began to take the Bible and put it into a language that the people could not understand. Latin was not the spoken language of the people at that time. They were speaking various languages, but they did that on purpose to keep it away from the people. And around this time, there started to be Protestants, Protestants that would say, we're protesting your authority. We're protesting you taking the Bible away from the people. It's meant to be for everybody. And therefore, like when William Tyndale put it into the language of the people, they burned him as a heretic. And so many people today don't know that history, but that is part of the history. So this Bible has not only been banned in communist countries, but it also was banned by Roman Catholicism. And we can talk about that later just for laughs and giggles if you want to. But for many of you, that was a new information. Now, whether it was that or something else, how many of you have already learned something today about the Bible? Just raise your hand. Let me look at some of you, right? We're all learning. I never knew when the verses started, you know, some of those other things. Now, let us look at the um, easy way to understand the Bible. Your 66 books. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. Here's the way to look at the word testament. Look at it as the word deal or covenant. God made a deal, a covenant with the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and that had a certain amount of laws and obligations for them to follow. Then in the New Testament, starting with Jesus, God the Father makes a new deal with all of humanity. That's why when Jesus is raised from the dead and he's about ready to send to heaven, he gives what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28 at the end of the gospel. And he says, now go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. You. And so if you look at the Old Testament, it's speaking towards the Jewish people, and the New Testament is speaking to the world at large through the eyes of Jesus. Now, here's how you can look at that whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation as an act or a play. Okay, so here we go. Act one, starting in the beginning, God creates the earth and man sins. So God created it perfect, but we messed it up. That's Genesis 1 through 11. Act 2, God gathers the people. He chooses Abraham and his descendants to be his chosen people. That's where we get the nation of Israel and Jewish people. Jewish people are from the descendant. Uh, they're, they're from the great-grandfather, Abraham. And that's in Genesis 12 through 50. Act 3, God now separates those people by God taking them out of Egypt through Moses and giving them the Ten Commandments as an introduction to the total of 613 laws. And by the way, Moses was the first one to actually write down the Bible. Before that time, it was all handed down through oral tradition, but Moses now starts putting the whole story together. So Moses actually wrote Genesis after they came out of Egypt. Then in Act 4, 
God maintains his holiness. Uh, oh, and that in Act 3 is Exodus, Exodus through 2 Samuel. Now, Act 4, God is maintaining his holiness, and that's where you get a lot of the prophets coming on the scene, like Samson, judges coming around, and you're seeing kings do bad things, kings doing good things. Has anybody ever heard of Jezebel? Jezebel, right? Jezebel was a wicked queen married to King Ahab, okay? So these are stories you might have heard. And uh, this is when God is judging his people, and he actually then sends them into captivity to other nations as prisoners when they did not obey his laws. Anybody remember Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel was a Jewish person that got brought to Babylon. That's why he eventually gets thrown into a lion's den is because he won't worship their false god. Then in Act 5, and that's 1 Kings and 2 Kings and all of your prophets. So when the, when the Old Testament ends at Malachi, those are the writings of prophets speaking to people that haven't been listening to God, to the, either the kings or to the nation of Israel. Okay, now Act 5 is starting the New Testament when Jesus comes on the scene, saving the people. God sent his son Jesus into the world to live a sinless life, die on the cross, raised from the dead, and establish the church. Now remember the Old Testament, establishing a nation, the nation of Israel. New Testament, establishing a church. In the Old Testament, it's about an ethnic people called Israelites uh, who are come from the lineage of Abraham. In the New Testament, it's about spiritual sons and daughters in the gospel, his good news going to the world. If you don't know the word gospel, it means good news, evangelion in the Greek. And that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And how do we look at the four gospels? Like surround sound. They're not contradicting each other. They're just giving us different aspects of the same story. Then Acts 6 is God gathering a people, and that's pretty much the whole Old uh, New Testament. That's the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, shows how they start teaching and preaching like Jesus said. And then all the letters from the apostles, Paul's letters to churches. Corinth uh, is the name of a city. Corinthians is the name of the book. If Ephesus is the name of the city, Ephesians is the name of the book. Are you guys tracking with me? And then some of the books are just named after them, like Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, Jude, James, etc. And this is God working through the Holy Spirit in the church to bring sinners to Jesus. And Acts 7, which we're waiting for, the grand finale, restoration of all things, is Jesus coming back to judge the world and make all things new. And that's what Revelation is about, that last book showing us what things are to come. Amen. Now, let me just say this. When people ask me, why do I believe in the Bible? I can give them three different reasons. And I think you should think about them as well, because many people don't believe the Bible. They have a lot of objections. And we'll get to some of that a little bit later. But here's why I believe in the Bible. These three reasons. Number one, because of the prophecies that the Bible has. It shows me that it comes from a divine author because God all throughout this book is making predictions about the future and they're coming true. Not only can I look back at past predictions in the Bible, but I can look at present predictions that Jesus made 2,000 years ago and see that they're coming true today. Prophecy. Just to give you one example, Jesus made a prediction while he was alive that the Jewish temple would be destroyed and that the Jewish people would be exiled out of their land. That was in around 33 A.D. Around 70 A.D., Emperor Tiberius came in, destroyed their temple, and uh, sent out the Jews from their land, dispersed them. That happened 40 years after Jesus had predicted it. We can look back in history and know that. We know the Gospels were well before that. There was a time where people tried to get a little sassy in the 1800s before we knew a lot about archaeology, and they uh, tried to go into the Bible and figure out how these things could be so. And they would say things like, well, maybe these Gospels that tell us Jesus predicted the fall of the temple came after 70 A.D. They came at, maybe that was written around 90 A.D., and they looked back and said, oh, Jesus said this, and look, it happened. 
But uh, now that we've done archaeology and things, some of our Gospels, uh, they date back up until 40 A.D., 50 A.D. We have pieces of them that we have found. And we know that these predictions were made long before 70 A.D. Somebody say prophecy. Thank you. The second thing that we can take confidence in the Bible is that it has present-day power. Present-day power. There is no other book in all of the world that has the present-day power of the Bible. Not only is it the most read book, not only is Jesus the most popular name in the world, not only does Christianity grow faster than any other religion, but there is power in the book. Think about this. All other religions tell people what to do to be good. But this book tells people they're bad, can't do anything about it except trust in Jesus to be made good. And then there are people like me who will say to you, November 5th, 1995, I put faith in what this book said, and I instantly got set free from drugs. There is no other religious claim like that. Trust me, I've read the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the main writings from the Hindu religion, talks about Krishna. When you hang out with the, you know, the different people that believe that way, the Hare Krishnas, I was at one of their temples, I ate prasadam with them, their holy meal. They are not going to say to you, I had an instantaneous conversion, an instantaneous thing. What they will say to you is that I've read a book, I've applied it to my life, and now I am changing. That's how they will look at it. I have a book in the back on Islam, the same exact thing about the Quran. You will not meet a Muslim that said, I met God, God changed me, now I'm a different person. They're going to say, first of all, no one can even communicate with God. All of the revelations that that uh, Muhammad got was from the angel Gabriel, not from God. Are you listening? We actually believe that God speaks to men personally. They believe God has to go through an angel because men are so wicked and vile that God would never come and talk to them. But when you talk to a Muslim, he is not going to say, I was changed, I was transformed instantaneous by a power from the divine, and therefore now I am the person that I am. What they're going to say is this book inspired me, it gave me commands to follow, I've done it gradually over time, it has worked. Christianity is exactly the opposite. Now, if you are a Christian making claims of knowing Jesus by your self-improvement, you are actually a false Christian. So stop claiming that. You're going to very much go against the Bible. Your claim for Christianity cannot be, this Bible has improved my life through self-effort. The Christianity of the Bible is not you doing a bunch of good things to make yourself a better person. And I don't mean to pick on the Roman Catholics today, but this would be good to clarify as well. They are a works-based religion. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Hey, you might make it or you still might get purgatory. That's not the language of the Bible. Can I show you the language of the Bible? The language of the Bible is an instantaneous transformation. And there are Christians here today, and not only here today, but all over the world that can verify that instantaneous transformation of life. As a matter of fact, when you hear about why our converts come from Islam, Christianity converts more religions than anybody else. Right now, Christianity is exploding in Iran. It's exploding in China, where Mao Zedong's book on communism was, was written. It is exploding there. When you listen to their testimonies, the testimony of a Christian in China, when you listen to the testimony of an Iranian believer in Tehran, when you listen to their testimonies, it is never anything other than what I'm about ready to read to you. As a matter of fact, there's two girls from Tehran, Iran, Tehran, Iran, that's the capital or one of the big cities there. They saw visions of Jesus, converted to Christianity, started spreading the, the gospel through giving away Bibles and eventually got arrested and tortured. Hello. It wasn't a self-improvement for them. It was an instantaneous process that God did in their life. Look at it here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and onward, for it is by grace you have been saved. Do you see that? Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. 
So if you ever hear a Christian saying, I'm forgiven because I prayed four Hail Marys, whoa, you're not forgiven according to this, because forgiveness doesn't come from your boasting about what you do or don't do. Forgiveness doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And if somebody goes, hey, man, I changed myself and I started going to church. No, man, you didn't change yourself to nothing but more of a sinner. Second, oh, I got a small amen on that. I wish I had half a church here today. Amen. Turn off the air conditioning. Remind them hell is hot. Come on, I got to get somebody excited here. Y'all got to help me. Second Corinthians 5.17, listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's Christianity. And I say that to you with all this clarification to say if you're not saying that, chances are you haven't met God. I cannot tell you this enough. I have met Christians from all over the world. This is the testimony of Christianity. Prophecy, show us the Bible is true. The power of the book. The power of the book of transformational lives, instantaneous, miraculous salvation. And then number three, it contains the life of Jesus. Jesus, by no doubt, is the greatest man that has ever lived on this earth. Everyone knows this as a fact. He literally split time in two. We still today date by his death and burial and resurrection. And yet, when we look at his life outside of the Bible, we only know certain things. He lived pretty obscurely. Uh, was claimed to be a miracle worker. That's at least what his followers believe. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate for really no good reason. And then afterwards, no one could find his body. However, his followers proclaimed they saw him rise from the dead and started a new religion in his name. That's pretty much what you'll learn at a university today that won't look for the Bible. But what makes the Bible so unique is that it contains the records of Jesus. And it explains to us why Jesus was such an inspirational figure. See, many people have been born, lived a good life, did good things for people, died a hero's death. But that is not the story of Jesus. When you read the Bible, the story of Jesus starts at the beginning of time. John says, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with the Father, and Jesus was divine like the Father. And he came down into the flesh, born of a virgin. And this is why he was so unique. He was God among men. And yet, as God among men, he didn't make himself pompous and all about self-worship. While he was here, he served us, and through his miracles, taught us that the kingdom of God was invading this earth. And hence, that was the reason why people crucified him. They crucified him not because, like Martin Luther King Jr., he just had a good message. That's a wonderful message of, uh, of civil rights. But his message was, I am your God in the flesh, come to redeem you your sinful life. That's why they killed him, for blasphemy charges, for blasphemy. That's why he was killed. The Jewish people had no other right to kill him unless it was for blasphemy. He made himself equal to God. And then the Bible explains why no one has found his grave. We know where Muhammad's grave is. We know where Buddha's grave is. We know where the great leader's graves are, but we don't know where Jesus' grave is. Why? Because it was found empty. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, and then he ascended to heaven. And what did he say? I'll be back. Amen. So if for no other reason, I would trust the Bible because it contains the story of the greatest man that ever lived, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Three reasons to look at your Bible and an attitude of faith. Now, if you have more questions than that or issues with that, that's okay. We love to answer questions here. 
and I'll give you a chance today to do that. As a matter of fact, if you're not my friend on Facebook, I want to be friends. Can we make it official, okay? Don't be ashamed that you come to MPI Church. Check in when you come here. Let all your friends know. It helps spread the word. And then right now, go to Facebook. Add me as your friend, okay? If we're not friends. And then I want you to ask me questions. I'm going to answer three questions today on the Bible anonymously before we go. So now you've heard basically the introduction of what we believe about the Bible. I'm going to get into some practical stuff now. But if there's anything you didn't think I covered that needs to get covered, I will answer it. So go to Facebook, put it there, and I'll check it out in just a little bit. Can I get an amen for that? I ain't scared. Okay, now watch this. Here's how you can read the Bible because I want to train us how to do this. Now, many of us started off, and I was right there with you. The day I got saved, November 5th, 1995, my mother gave me a Bible that I had when I was a kid, and I took it back to the apartment I was living with, and guess how I started reading it? Just opened it up right to the middle and picked whatever I saw and started reading. Now, thankfully, it was the book of Psalms, because as I started to read it, I started to sense God's great love for me, and tears started coming down my eyes, and it actually provoked me to go back to my parents' house, and there they prayed for me some more, and God moved in a mighty way. So I want you to have a better reading plan than just popping it open, picking random verses. Let's look at a few right here. Number one, topically. Topically means to go through the Bible through specific topics. Here's an example. I got them online. You can check them out as well. A lot of websites do these things for us now. So when you go to this website right here, you will see that the Bible can be arranged by topics. Here's some of the general ones. Peace Bible verses, encouraging Bible verses, hope, etc. Let's learn about forgiveness. How many think it's good to forgive? Right? So if you wanted to read your Bible tomorrow, you can go to this link and start reading verses about forgiveness. Now let's see if there's power in the word right here. Are you guys ready for some power? Let's see if as we read it, we begin to see God speak through our hearts practically about how to apply this to our life. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. But if you forgive other people as they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ooh, how many got something out of that? That's pretty real. There's probably about 100 verses on forgiveness. That first one rocked me pretty hard. I don't know about you. How about this one? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Anybody here want to be forgiven of sins? You've just learned how to do it. Isaiah 53, 25. And these guys have arranged them in no particular order, Old, New Testament. Here's Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. How many are happy about that? How many are glad God don't remember what you did? Amen. One day your flesh will die and you will remember no more. But until then, you have to crucify that flesh and that memory. Amen. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the cause for your innocence. Look at it, and that's basically saying, hey, I'll take care of your sin, but you want to do it on your own? Let's argue about it, and I don't want to argue with God. Does anybody want to argue with God? I know I don't. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come. How many have learned something about forgiveness? Right? All we did is simply study the Bible according to a topic, and that, that was simple. We just went to the topics of the Bible and, and just read them. That's one way to do it. The next way to do it here is from beginning to end. This is probably the hardest way, and I know a lot of people have tried it. You're going to start with Genesis, and you're going to read chapter after chapter all the way to Revelation. Has anybody ever tried that before? Did you ever finish? Most of us don't finish. Why? Because it gets into parts we don't understand, gets into things that have to do with the Jewish nation, those 
parts where it talks about their law. And somebody from the last uh, service asked me, well, why is there 613 laws in those parts of the book of the Old Testament? It gets kind of boring when I'm reading, you shall not do this, you shall not do this, you know, sow your clothes like this, plant your garden like this. Well, the reason is, is because it was also their civil law. So if you think reading 613 laws is something, I asked to find out how many American laws we have. We have about 90,000 federal laws, okay? So I think I might trade some of that for the Old Testament, amen, except stoning your children because I wouldn't have rebellious children because otherwise I wouldn't be here right now. Mom and dad would have took me out back a long time ago. We are following Leviticus chapter 20, verse 2, son. You are going to meet Jesus. And it can get weird like that, I know, but it's true. They had to do that if they were rebellious, but... You know, reading from beginning to end is a noble way, and I wanted to put it there, but uh, it's not the way that I'd recommend for most. This is how I recommend reading the Bible, and it's generally how I've read it for 20 years, and that's book to book. Reading various books from start to finish. So take, for example, you're like, this week you're going to get inspired to read your Bible after the day. Uh, maybe start with the book of John. Read a couple chapters. The next day, read a couple more chapters. Work your way through it, and then you'll finish that book. You'll get a good understanding of what John was trying to tell you about Jesus. Or read the book of Romans. Paul wrote to the people of Rome, 1 through 16. Read a chapter a day, 16 days, you'll have read it. By the way, if you struggle with reading, they have audio Bibles. Most of the books of the Bible can be listened to by audio in two hours or less. So what you get through a movie, you can hear the entire book of Isaiah, the whole book of John, etc., etc. So let's not make excuses. And this is my little, can I get my little sassy quote out right now? If you're too busy because you're putting, uh, you're too busy because you're always on Facebook, you need to put your face in his book. Amen. So if you could just exchange your time with Facebook and put your face in his book, you'll be better off. Amen. Now, here's the next one. It's fun. I did it because I never read the Bible that way. It's called chronologically. And what that means is a lot of times when we look at the Bible, we think that Genesis to Revelation, it's actually happening in real time. Genesis and Revelation are the first and the last book. They are chronologically correct. Genesis is first. Revelation is last. But a lot of things that happen in between there are not in chronological order. Let me give you an example. When you look at the Bible, you start to read in Genesis. Around 11, you're getting to the time of Abraham and the patriarchs. But there's this book we have in the Bible called the Book of Job. And I don't know if you've ever thought it was the Book of Job, but it's actually pronounced Job. Did anybody ever think it was Job? Oh, there's a book of Job in here. Let me just see. A little Craigslist in the Bible. Let me see if I can find something here. No, that's not what I was looking for. Uh, this dude's getting messed up all the time. Yeah, but what happened is the book of Job is something that was recorded and put into the poetic section of our Bible, but it actually happens in time before Abraham. The man Job lived before Abraham. So it stops in the chronological order here. It stops at Genesis 11 and then inserts the book of Job for you so that you can understand the mindset of Job and when he was alive. And where that becomes helpful again is as you go through the chronological Bible is you get into the prophets because a lot of us start reading the Bible and we're like, who in the world is Ezekiel talking to? Like he's mad at somebody. Well, when you start to read the book of Kings and Chronicles, Kings and Chronicles are talking about the kingdoms of Israel. It will stop and say, oh, look, 2 Kings 15 is where Isaiah is prophesying in time, chapters 1 through 4. 
See, isn't that pretty cool? You can actually see that. So that was a neat way for me to do that. I read the Bible a year that way, reading it chronologically, and I learned a lot. Uh, the other way is called the Bethay-style way, and this is another year reading plan, and it's actually the most popular that you'll see on most uh, devotionals to read your Bible in a year. Our devotionals that come out every day are topical readings of the Bible, and then I explain them. So by the way, if you're looking for topical reading of the Bible, all you have to do is look right here, is to go to our website. I didn't show this in the... Uh, the first service, but how many would like to see that right there for topical? Here's a way to read it topically. I just don't um, know why my internet's being naughty. Oh, here it is. So you go to mpichurch.org, and right here they come out every day. You scroll to the bottom, and I'm going topically now through the Spirit-led life, and you can sign up right here for your email, and it'll come directly to you. There's a scripture reading, and then there's the explanation of that, and I have them all year round. Can I get an amen for that? Thank you. Okay, now the buffet style is you're going to read one Old Testament, one New Testament, and then a portion of Psalms and Proverbs throughout the whole year. And this is what most Bible apps are going to have you do. So starting in day one, 365, you can read it in a year. They're going to have you read a portion of Luke 5. They're going to start you off there. Genesis 1 will be your Old Testament passage. And then Psalm 1, Psalm 1 will be that Psalm and Proverbs. So you're going to make your way through the New Testament, make your way through the Old Testament, and they're going to break up Psalms and Proverbs to last for 365 days. And it's really, really cool. A lot of people have done that throughout history. That's actually probably the oldest way to read your entire Bible. That's one of the oldest ways to do that. And when you look at a lot of those devotionals, they'll have it. And then lastly, there's a different variety of ways you can be creative. This website gives you a bunch of different ways. So you could just say, I want to read the whole Old Testament. And you could just rock your way through that. You could say, I'm going to read all of Paul's writings and just read, you know, Romans, Corinthians and do that. You could say, I'm going to read all of John's writings. There's a lot of various ways to break it up. You could say, I'm going to read just the poetic books, as I mentioned before, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Here is the pop popular Bible app, Uversion. It's on any kind of phone that you want, iPad, whatever, and it has all these things that I mentioned, and you can set up your Bible reading. It will set an alarm to you. I mean, do we have any excuse, guys, not to read our Bible? Now, think about this. Is it important to read our Bible? Let's li listen to what the Scripture says about itself. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 9 through 11 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many think God's pretty smart? How many know we need his help in life, right? As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it unless they water the earth and make it bud and flourish, that so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. Listen to this. It will not return empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for what I sent it. Jesus said like this, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Paul also said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want faith, get the word of God. If you want to feed your soul, get the word of God. Now, here's what I like to call the diet of the word of God. Somebody say the diet of the word. Here is what the word of God will do for your soul. 2 Timothy 3.16 and in chapter 4, verses 2 and onward, this is what it says. All Scripture is God-breathed. Somebody say all Scripture. Thank you. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, how many servants of God do I have in here today? Amen. May be thoroughly equipped for how many good works? Every good work. And then later he says, now preach that word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 
If you combine those two passages together, take out the doubles, you're left with five main things the Word of God will do for your soul. It will teach you, it will rebuke you, it will correct you, it will train you, and it will encourage you. Now, don't judge me as your pastor by the clothes I wear on Sunday, okay? Because I know some people are like, oh, Pastor, why are you coming shorts? Let me tell you why I come in shorts. Because I'm hot. Why do you wear shorts? Because you're hot. Can I wear shorts too? You know what I'm saying? And then somebody's like, but Pastor, you're in sandals. Pastors aren't supposed to wear sandals. What do you think Jesus wore? What do you think Jesus wore? Chanclas, hello. We have gotten so used to seeing religious people, we forgot what our own Savior was dressed like, right? Now, I, if a robe was popular, I'd be wearing a robe, amen? But I'd probably draw more attention if I did that. I'm just going to come comfortable to church. You come however you want. You want to come? Somebody's like, I wish we could dress up here. Nobody says you couldn't. You can come wearing whatever you want. You can come dressed like Willy Wonka if you want. A top hat, gloves, and colorful suit and tie. You can do whatever you want. I'm just going to come comfortable. I'm not going to come dirty. I'm not going to come smelly, thanks to my wife, amen? I love you, Booster Boo. And I'm going to come, and what is my best? This is my best. These are my best pair of shorts. These are my best chunk, because they're like, you better put on your best. Okay, this is my best sandals, my best shorts, and my best shirt. This is as good as it gets. I'm getting a little sassy. How many like keeping church in the real and keeping it comfortable? Amen? Amen. The rest of you not clapping. We want you to dress up next week, okay? So don't judge me by that, but be honest right now. You judge me according to the word. When you come to this church, do you get a healthy diet of God's word? I mean, just for your own sake, would you be honest with me right now? I need to know if you're being honest. Be honest. Do you get taught? Do you get rebuked? Rebuke means you're told to stop, stop doing stuff. Do you feel the correction, being led in a better direction? Training, being patient with you, not expecting you to get it at first, but taking our time with you. I wish my kids could be rebuked, corrected, and trained all in one day. That would be awesome. How many parents would be happy about that? Child, I have taught you, I have rebuked you, I have corrected you, I have showed you, and I have encouraged you. Now do it. But how many know that's not how it works? Day by day, there's a process there. And that's where we go back to our identity. My maturity is not the same as my identity. I am a child of God. I just don't always act like one, right? God has changed my soul and made me perfect on the inside like him. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Be holy for I'm holy. It's been done. It's accomplished by the cross of Jesus. But I don't always live like it. So I need to be taught. I need to be corrected, encouraged, rebuked. And then lastly, do you get encouraged when you come here? Do you, get, you, just, do you, believe, do you think I believe you can do this? I mean, you don't leave out of here with your head hanging down going, nobody's going to live for Jesus. We're all going to hell. What's going on with this church? What's going on? You know, even the guy, I always feel sorry for the guy who looks at porn because he gets rebuked all the time, right? He gets it every week because that's like my biggest pet peeve right now with the culture. And honestly, that's a lot of what people's struggles are. That's what I would struggle with, too, if I hadn't gotten that in check. And my biggest struggle would be lust, probably anger, things like that. But you know what? I'm, I would rather teach and rebuke that man than let him walk out of here the same way he came in. And I'll tell you the truth, this is how I get changed. So do you receive that here? Okay, now let me ask you something. Do you do this for yourself? Do you on your own time do this? Because it's the word of God that's powerful and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says, able to cut away the motives of the heart and discern between your soul and your spirit. You have to feed yourself the word of God. The Bible says to hide the word of God within your heart, to make the word of God a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, you're like a wise man building this house on a rock. Storms will come. You'll make it through. If you hear these words and don't put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, the crash was great. James also said that a person hears the word and doesn't do it. It's like a person who looks at themselves in the mirror and forgets what they look like. What do I look like? What color is my hair? No, we're supposed to hear the 
word and put it into action. Build our lives upon it. Amen? Now, I'm going to look at your guys' questions right here. Let me uh, get to the questions. I'm going to go to Facebook and see if I got any good ones. I will keep them anonymous. Would you uh, do me a favor back there? Uh, shut off the, uh, the projector because I did something naughty again. Thank you. Not the projector. No, never mind. I actually got it. Thank you. How many like the screens up here? Do you guys enjoy this? Okay, sometimes it's not as easy as it looks, though. Thank you. Pray for me. Pray for my patience. Okay, let's look at Facebook. Let's see what I got here. Let's see. Okay, let's go here. Do I have any questions? Refresh. Three questions. Perfect. Three questions for three people. No, none of these are from you, though. Y'all didn't have no questions? Y'all got it? I'm literally answering back to people right now who are like, thanks, Pastor, for answering my question in church. Okay. Well, you guys have no questions? Yeah, you, you got it. Oh, what? Yeah, you got to go to my Facebook page and go to message. Do you know how to use Facebook? If you don't, you cannot have a question answered. I'm sorry. Otherwise, it's going to be like all ghetto, you shouting stuff out. Hey, Pastor, where did, where did Cain get his wife from? You know, that's a popular one. So nobody got no questions. Somebody's trying to write one. There we go. Now we know who it is. <laughs> now we know. No anonymous here. Might as well just handed you a mic and did it. Let us have, um, we're, we're going to do hand raisings now. Is that what it's come to? Okay, yes, and I've, okay, so hold on, before we do, we will have a little bit of sem, uh, symbol of, um, a resemblance of order here. Okay, Ishmael, would you come, por favor? Wh where am I scrolling down to? I can look at my messages and see I don't have any. Did you send me one? These are posts, not messages. That's what you were trying to say. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Let me see if I can find it there. Okay. No, where did you find it at? Can you please come? I am so sorry, guys. I'm normally more technologically advanced than this. Where did you just see this? Because I'm looking at my Facebook page right here, and I don't see that. I went to that page. Oh, there we go. There we go. No, I got them. Here we go. Why were some books included in the Bible and others discarded? Thank you, guys. You guys ask questions. Let's give it up for those who ask questions. Thank you. Got all hot up here, man. I got so nervous. I'm telling you, stuff makes me nervous. Like if there's one thing, it's when I get off track and I have to free flow it. I know it doesn't look like it, but I get nervous. Okay. Why were some books included and others not? The idea of the canon is what comes to mind now. Canon is a word for reed, measuring rod, what we would call ruler. This is a great discussion. One of the things that we have in difference, and I see um, the Catholic Church was mentioned in your other question, but I'll bring it up because it was mentioned as well before. Why do the Catholics have different books than us? Well, because they have a different canon than us. Why do they have a different canon? It's how you judge what books are divine or not. And that's a pretty big subject. But the reason why Catholics have other books that we don't is because around that same time, around the 1200s, 1500s, going into that Middle Age, Dark Ages, between 1200 and 1500, they really developed what we would call the Roman Catholic Church. They'll try to claim it back to the Pope, but that's not true. Really where they, did, they got power, 
took things over, changed things, veneration of saints, candles, the Pope, all of that is around that 300-year period, 300 time, uh, 300 year time period. One of the biggest things that happened immediately was called the Great Schism in 1000 A.D. The Eastern Orthodox Church in Constantinople said, you're not taking over our authority because the Roman Church tried to take over their authority, and it became a division of the East and the West, okay? And so what the Roman Catholics did is they went back to the Jewish faith, and they found books that the Jewish people respected and revered as history and said, we're now going to put them in our scriptures. So you and I have the identical Old Testament of the Jewish people. So if you went to the synagogue yesterday and saw their, re their writings or their, what they're reading out of, it's exactly the same as us. The Roman Catholics actually bypassed their authority and added in new books by, their by, by the Romans' authority. So we don't agree with that authority. We're like, no, we think the Jews pretty much knew what they were doing, and that's why they chose that Bible. Now, here's the good part. Those books were actually written before Jesus, so we actually have the, the book of Jesus, the Bible of Jesus, so no, 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 we were right, you're wrong, right? Because you're using a book that developed a long time after Jesus. These books were history books in the time of Jesus, but Jesus never used them as authority. So I'm using the Bible. The Jewish people have always used, or you can say it as we are, using the Bible. The Jews have always used that Old Testament, 39 books, and we are using the Bible of Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, why were some chosen and others not? The standard of the canon was based upon authenticity of author. Did we know, did we know Moses wrote this? So they kept that tradition very sacred that this was written by Moses. Because at, at any time, somebody could say, this was written by Moses too, and it says, everybody give me your money. So they had a way of really guarding their traditions. And we know that their traditions were right. Let me give you an example because there he talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Sometimes we are accused as Christians as tampering with stuff, and how do we know we got it all together, you know, like Da Vinci Code type stuff. Well, here's the deal. The book of the Quran was a book that was tampered with because it was a governmental book, and they changed stuff, and they burned the rest, and we'll never know what was in their copies. That happened during uh, Uthman, and they call, it's called the Uthman Revisions. But watch this about what happened in Christianity. Because our books were spread so fast, even during the time of the Old Testament, people were traveling around the world spreading their faith. Books got lost and buried. One of these places they buried a lot of our books was called the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Qumran Valley. Well, we did not find the Dead Sea Scrolls until modern times, like around the 30s or 50s or whatever, sometime like around then. And guess what we found? The same exact books that we have now interpreted the same way. Now, they had some of the Dead Sea Scrolls of those historical books, like we would call the apocryphal literature. That's what we would call it. But they did not have it in the same way as the, uh, the Bible. They didn't, they didn't treat it the same. So we're actually validated through archaeology to prove what we're saying is true. And the same thing is with our gospel, like I showed you with uh, our fragments. Some of them thought that our gospels were written much, much later. But now most of them agree that our gospels were written by 60 A.D. None of them really uh, before uh, after 70 AD except for John and we know that John talks like he's writing after 70 AD but Matthew Mark and Luke who tell the history of Jesus and all these prophecies come before uh, 70 AD so I don't know if that answered the question but did it at least get us started I'll send you some links there so it's canon authenticity keeping the tradition and then how do we know that happened because we're digging up the artifacts now you know what I'm saying we're digging up see you have what they call an eclectic text, one that can go everywhere and do traveling, and you have a controlled text. The Quran was a controlled text. 
It was one man living, saying everything, and whenever they didn't like it, they threw it away, and when they brought it all together after he died, whatever, they contradicted each other, they burned. That was a control text. That was not our text. Our text was being copied, copied, copied immediately, immediately, and then those copies were getting buried and put in different places, right? And we find them now today, and they match what we have. That's the beauty of it, okay? Pastor Joy, I just want to say you're amazing. Thank you. Is that even for today? No. Okay, sorry, I just read another one, but it's in the same place. Do I have another question? <laughs> I'm sorry. What does the Bible say about tattoos and piercings? I did a whole sermon series on tattoos and piercings, by the way. The Bible says get as many as you want. No, I'm kidding. There was n no hit. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what? I got a sermon series. I'll just show you right here. Can I show you guys a sermon series before we go? And then is there any other questions? Because I, I don't know if I missed any now because we're going to have to end the service. I got a great way to end this. Mamma Jam, we're going to end in style. I'm going to get to preaching here in just a minute. How many are glad they came to church today? Amen. Did you guys learn something? I know I learn stuff all the time. I'm going to send you a whole study on the canon. It's amazing. And the Dead Sea Scrolls and what God did there. That's beautiful. So here's how you go. You go to our website. You want to see me pass sermon series. You go to sermon series. Let's find the sermon series under sermons. You can go to all these different things. You can also search up here. You can also search up here, right, like watch, tattoo, two T's and two O's, right? And it will come up right here, hot topics, tattoos and piercings. You see how that just came up in the search engine? You all see that? Right there. But since I'll show you what sermon series it was in, here's all of our past sermon series. So many good ones, right? So many good ones. It was hot topics. Bottom. There it is. So hot topics. Talked about Israel, eternal punishment, homosexuality, tattoos and piercings, music, TV, etc. Got to a good thing right there. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Aren't you guys happy I lost some weight? Look at him. But I was preaching. I'm telling you, man, transformation right there. But she still loves me. Did you love me? There was just more to love. Isn't that something? Look at that guy. I lost over 60 pounds. All I had to do was get fat first, but I lost it. That's all I had to do. That's all I had to do. And then you'll see the whole sermon series on that. The notes are there. You'll enjoy them, tattoos. I talk about where that comes in Leviticus. And that actually uh, opens up a bigger topic of discussion, which is how do we apply the Old Testament laws to the New Testament? And in that same sermon series, I talk about that. The, the whole entire concept of why, let me just share this real quick, why we still believe homosexuality is a sin, though it's mentioned in the Old Covenant, but we don't think um, women having sex on their period is a sin. It may be gross, but it's not a sin, right? And, and that's in the same covenant. I could have probably picked a better example. Out of all the examples up here, that's why I'm telling you, man, the angels have to see my thought life, and they're like, Father, have you seen what he thinks about? Do you, do you, do you... <laughs> What do we do for him? I could just see my guardian angel going up to heaven going, you have no idea what I go through. And God's like, no, I know. I made him. But that was the first random law that came into my mind. Okay? So, yeah, there's a reason why. And we're not picking and choosing. People think we're picking and choosing, but we are not picking and choosing. There's a simple filter from the old to the new. And here it is. Here it is. Did Jesus reinforce it? Did the apostles teach it? That's it. Okay? So how do I take a law from the Old Testament, the old deal, and bring it to the new deal? Did Jesus teach it, and did the apostles live it, reinforce it, write about it? 
Homosexuality is taken from the Old Testament through Jesus' lips that he created them male and female. That's his standard of marriage. And then the apostles call the other thing unnatural, Romans chapter 1. That's how homosexuality is there, right? Now, dietary laws, you couldn't eat pork. You couldn't eat lechon or bacon. How many are happy you can eat bacon now? Amen. You know, it's like somebody said this to be a little sassy. It was like funny. It was like for any other reason to be happy about Jesus dying on the cross, it's I can now eat bacon, right? Had a big pile of bacon, the meme. I'm sure I messed it up, but it was something like that. You saw it, right? So how do we take bacon laws and now we can do it? Okay, bacon. You can't eat bacon in the Old Covenant, one of the 613 laws. But now Jesus says all food is clean because what goes into a man does not defile him. And then it literally says, by saying this, he declared all foods clean. So that law stops at Jesus. You get it? How do I carry a law to now it has to go through Jesus and taught in the New Testament? Are you guys excited? Okay, because here's how I believe we can all read the Bible in new and awesome ways. We need to see Jesus in every book in the Bible. We need to see Jesus in every book. Uh, Ishmael, would you come to the guitar, please? We're going to get it on. I want to challenge you. If you have never read the Bible to see Jesus, or seen Jesus in the Bible, to read through your Bible as you start to pick a plan that works for you, that you would see Jesus in every passage, in every book, as him speaking to you. In Genesis, Jesus is our creator and promised redeemer. In Exodus, our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, our high priest. In Numbers, our water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, our lawgiver. In Joshua, our commander in the army of the Lord. In Judges, he is our deliverer. In Ruth, our kingsman and redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he is our prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, our grace giver. In 1 Kings, our promise keeper. In 2 Kings, our truth teller. In 1 Chronicles, our faith king. In 2 Chronicles, our hope in the midst of hopelessness. In Ezra, our priest proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, our restorer. In Esther, he is our protector. In Job, he is our joy and suffering. In Psalms, Jesus is our song. In Proverbs, Jesus is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning in life. In Song of Solomon, he is our selfless lover. In Isaiah, he is our suffering servant. In Jeremiah, Jesus is our weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he is our interceder. In Ezekiel, our covenant keeper. In Daniel, our friend in the fire. In Hosea, our faithful husband. In Joel, our spirit baptizer. In Amos, Jesus is our helper. In Obadiah, he is our judge. In Jonah, he is our great missionary. In Micah, he is our defender. In Nahum, he is our future hope. In Habakkuk, he is our vision. In Zephaniah, he is our warrior. In Haggai, he is our builder. In Zechariah, our Messiah pierced for us. In Malachi, our son of righteousness. In Matthew, Jesus is our virgin-born Savior. In Mark, our miracle worker. In Luke, our anointed one. In John, our God in the flesh. In the book of Acts, our foundation for the church. In Romans, Jesus is our righteousness in God. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus is our power. 2 Corinthians, our generosity. In Galatians, our spiritual freedom, libertad. In Ephesians, our our grace giver. In Philippians, our joy. Colossians, our reconciliation. In 1 Thessalonians, our comfort. In 2 Thessalonians, our returning king. In 1 Timothy, our order in the church. In 2 Timothy, our leader. Titus, he is our great God and Savior. In Philemon, he is our emancipator. In Hebrews, he is our high priest. In James, our faithful example. In 1 Peter, our hope. In 2 Peter, our guard. In 
in 1st John our love, in 2nd John our teacher, in 3rd John our truth, in Jude our coming one, and in the book of Revelation Jesus is our King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Would you stand up and give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah! The Word made manifest. Hallelujah. Jesus came to be with us. I want to challenge you today to read your Bible and to study it every day until it penetrates your heart and mind with the presence, the purpose, and the power of God. Let's not just live by this world's bread that it gives us. Let's live by the Word of God. Would you pray with me, please, right now before we go? Jesus, we've learned about your word today. And we're so thankful that we're here to read it in freedom and to have the collection of these wonderful truths you've given us throughout the ages. We know it's true because of its predictive, prophetic power. We know that it's real and alive because of its activity in our lives it's transformational power and we know about Jesus because we learn about who he is all that we do in this life oh God will fade away one day like grass and flowers of the field but your word oh Lord will endure forever with every head bowed and eyes closed do you want to Adjust some things in your life to the Word of God? Do you want to adjust your schedule to the plan of God? I'm going to ask our altar workers and band members to come. As they do, would you just pray right now? And Maybe you need to start by repenting for not honoring the Word of God. Maybe you haven't read it like you should. You spend more time with TV, movies, sports, entertainment. And God is calling you today to read His Word. Some of you right now, you need to confess that maybe you've been doubting it, and today you're going to start trusting in God's Word. Others of you, you've been reading God's Word, maybe faithfully for years. Would you pray the prayer that Paul prayed for his churches, that the eyes of your heart would be open in your understanding, and that your perception of God's love and perception of God's wisdom and knowledge would grow and increase. In almost every one of Paul's letters, uh, he lists out those things that he prays for. I pray for the eyes of your heart to be open, the eyes of your understanding, that you would know him more. May we all know him more. A few more moments right now, you and Jesus in this place. Oh, I love God's word. It's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, the foundation from which I live and do what I do. I couldn't. Imagine living without it today. Jesus. We're going to sing this song, Holy and Anointed One. Gentlemen, would you find the words? But we're going to pray first before we do. Just a few more moments. A few more moments. God, forgive us if we haven't taken it serious. For some of you who are looking for those reading plans, are you going to commit to the Lord in prayer right now that you'll go back and look at the notes and maybe take on reading the Bible this year and Start learning and studying it, meditating on it. 
For those of you who have been disobedient to it, are you going to really conform your life to it? Can you do it on your own? No, you can't. But if you confess right now that you're a sinner or you are a disobedient child, you will be forgiven. I love repentance. Repentance to me is not even a rebuke. Only stiff-necked people see repentance as a rebuke. The humble receive. The Bible say uh, wisdom to the wise is more easily received than a thousand lashes to a fool. We honor the word here. We love you, Jesus. Correct me. Rebuke me. Teach me where I need to make it right. My family. Come on, just a few more moments. How many of you want the word of God to be supreme in your family? I guarantee you there will be no more divorces, no more counseling, no more, uh, you know, divorce counseling rather. Counseling is a good thing, but like, you know, we're getting a divorce. We can't stand each other. All that would dissipate in marriages if two people would meet at the word of God and build their life upon it. How many want to pray for their children to be raised up in the word? Amen. Can you look up at me before we go back to praying and then we'll sing? You know what? One of the greatest things that blessed me as a parent was the understanding of my children. I'm like a typical dad. Like, I don't know what kids can do or can't do. You know, like I thought my kids would really have to wait until like they're 10 years old to have conversations with. And my, my, um, my wife was like, no, you're going to be able to talk to them when they're like two or three. And I was like, really? Because I've never really talked to a two or three year old. I grew up as an only child. I'll be honest. I didn't know you could like literally talk to a two year old. But my wife's like, oh, yeah, you'll be talking with them around two. But I was caught off guard one day when we were doing our family devotions. And by the way, there's family devotions for kids and all of this. I have them memorize the scripture. We'll repeat it together and we'll get a little lesson. So we're, do- we're going through it. We're doing the scripture memorization. It's something like, you know, really simple. I always break it down for them. Everybody, I'll have my kids do it. Like, everybody say with me, seek God first and he'll take care of everything else. And then they'll go, seek God first and he'll take care of everything else. And we were doing it. And then I always ask them, okay, who's memorizing? Who can do it now by themselves? And then they'll, you know, fight to raise their hand for especially my oldest, Hannah and Bethany, seven and six. They'll be like, oh, I got it, I got it. Every now and then Lucas will try to get out there. He's four and get ahead of him. But we always go in a circle. We always do it like that. Well, then one day, Hannah, two years old, she literally says this my turn my turn and i am like what and then i listened to her and then like if like the last words were like he'll do everything for you or something then she goes he'll do everything for you you like in this her little voice two years old oh it just blew my mind i was like oh my goodness this is what the bible says raise them up when they are young in the ways of the lord and when they're old they won't depart Come on, parents, can we pray for our kids right now? Lord, even if our kids are grown or older than that, God, help us to raise them up in it for whatever time we have now. But especially for us with children that are like young and impressionable, they're still learning the things of life and the sense of who they are and their personality. The the doctors say they're... Their conscious mind is developing, Lord. We pray that they will learn to hide the word of the Lord in their heart. Oh, that we'll teach it to them through not only our words, but our actions. A few more moments. Pray for whatever's on your heart concerning the word of God. May we not leave here without taking it serious. We apply it to our lives. It it teaches us to pray. It teaches us to reflect, to confess our sins, right? That's what we're doing. We're being obedient. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We have one of our amazing Bible teachers here. Berto, would you pray for us before we dismiss? 
Berto's going to pray for you and I that we would love the word of God. And before you go today, if you want any prayer, our, our workers are up here to pray with you. We're going to sing an awesome song to Jesus in dismissal. I call it the after party. So if you've never hung around, you should. The boom shakalaka power of God comes around. But listen to this man's prayer because I've watched him hunger for God. And if he's praying for us today, for us to do it, I believe God's going to hear him. Amen. Father God, we just ask you, Lord, that we will hunger for your word. As Jesus said, that we shall live by your word alone, oh God. That we should, as, as much as we, we should hunger for bread, we should hunger for your word. And I pray also, God, that as we are in your word, oh Lord, that it will cut through our hearts, oh God. That your word will cut through our hearts and truly affect our hearts and manifest through our lives, God. That we're truly abiding and living and walking by your word, Lord God. Let it not just be sayers, Lord, of your word, but let us be doers of your word, oh Father God. I pray that we will just walk in your convictions at all times, knowing that your word is a lamp into our feet, knowing that your word is all that we need, knowing that your word is so precious, oh God. Lord, it's a privilege to be able to have your word in our lives, Lord God. Remind us, Lord God, that you have given us your word. You inspired man to speak to us, Lord God, through your spirit, Lord God. Let us walk in the fear of the Lord at all times, Lord God. Going to your word, Lord God. Meditating on it. Hungering for it. I pray for anybody in this place, God, that that, that has not been uh, in the word, Lord God, that you just, through your spirit, Lord God, you put a, just a hunger and a desire and a passion to know you more through your word, oh, Father. So bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. Have a great week. If not, come and hang up a little bit with us. If you don't have to go, we love you. We're going to worship a little bit. If you need prayer, come up. Otherwise, enjoy your, your week. Like water yes, God. To my soul. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Your name is like sing that again your name your name is like honey yes it on is on my lips your spirit's like water to my soul your word is a lamp to my feet Jesus I love